every single one of us need to live and to experience the grace of God. And something I'm discovering is that the more that I learn about the things of God, the longer I spend studying my Bible and learning the biblical principles, it doesn't make me full of, of pride. It makes me actually more humble. And it makes me understand my need of God's grace. If I could write that as a formula, I would say this. Our ability to appreciate God's grace is in direct correlation to the degree to which we acknowledge our need of it. In other words, the more that I acknowledge that I need God's grace, the more that I actually understand and begin to experience God's grace. Imagine how different your lives would be, how different your families would be, how different our society would be if we just lived out the plan and purpose that God has for us. Our goal throughout the series is to help you live in God's grace and to share God's grace in your daily lives. A basic definition of grace is simply the word favor. God's favor bestowed upon the undeserving. Grace is receiving something that you do not deserve. And in this instance, we're talking about from God. Our principle for today is this. And every single Sunday, we have a principle we seek to apply to our life. This is the principle. God's grace is greater than my deepest hurt. God's grace is greater than my deepest hurt. In your life and in my life, we have a mental closet. Now, many of you have very nice, neat houses. But if you're anything like me, there's one little section or there's one drawer. In fact, for me, it's a room. And it's one room that is the room where you just take everything and you dump it there. And you say, someday I will take care of that room. Now, we have family visiting with us this week, and it was my full intention that someday would have been the day before they arrived to clean out that room and make it nice and clean. But my sister and brother-in-law are here, and they're not very judgmental, thankfully. Someday we'll take care of that. Someday I'll clean out that room. In In an emotional way, in regards to our wounds and our hurts, we've been hurt And we've been storing away things in our wound closet for years, if not decades. And as I talk about people that have hurt you, instantly there's a list of people. Hopefully your list is short, but more often than not, the list is long. And the more you think about it, the more people inside of that closet, that hoarder's closet that we have, are filled with different people that have hurt us in the past. And as a result of that hurt from the past, what we do is we just ignore it long enough. And we think, well, if I just ignore the pain long enough, maybe it will go away. And today we're talking about the fact that God's grace is greater than my deepest hurt. We're actually not talking about really just ignoring the problem any longer. We're talking about here is the act of forgiveness. You and I cannot do that on our own. There's no way that you and I can clean out this closet of hurt in our own strength and our own power. So we must go back to the Word of God. In a few moments, we're going to hit Matthew chapter number 18. So if you'd like to open your Bibles there, we're going to study that out in just a few moments' time. But before we get there, we talk about some foundational things. 
our foundation of our faith and our foundation of the source of our faith. Because how can we experience grace except through Jesus Christ? In our life group study that we have on Tuesday nights, the common joke is that if you don't know the answer to something that we're going through, just say Jesus because nine times out of ten, you're going to be correct. In a similar way with this, the foundation of your faith, the foundation of your grace is Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It all begins with Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter. So he's our source of faith. How are you going to clean out this closet? It's not through you, it's through Jesus Christ. But the result of this faith, and when we experience this relationship with God through Jesus Christ, is now the result is we can experience grace, the undeserved favor from God. But the effect that we have when we do not live out that grace, the opposite of really the favor is a word that has the understanding of being toxic. Because the result of that faith in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And that's what we find here in the scripture. And I studied that passage out, and it literally means that our motivation is that nobody misses out on the grace of God. It's not a really a deep and profound passage. It's pretty self-explanatory. Our goal as people that know Jesus Christ as our Savior is to go out and live that out in our community. And he's skilled each and every one of you with different skills and opportunities. But he's also given us the responsibility to see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. But when we live, we fail to live under the grace of God, there's a word that says bitterness. That verse continues on in, in verse number 15. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. That's, that root of bitterness is the word that literally means something that is toxic or poisonous. So a, a religion without grace becomes poisonous. A relationship without grace becomes poisonous. A local church without grace becomes poisonous. Our own hearts without grace becomes poisonous. So we don't want to live in that root of bitterness. We want to live in the grace of God. What we're going to look at this morning is going to be confrontational because it's between you and God. And the things that come to your mind, I don't want you to remain there. I want you to work on a pathway from principles from the Word of God to forgive others and so that you can move forward in your relationship with God. Oftentimes the bitterness and the hurts of our past hold us back and it stops us from moving forward. And Jesus addresses the act of forgiveness with his disciples in Matthew chapter 18. If you have your Bibles open in Matthew 18, we'll be there in a few moments time. He's talking to his disciples and the disciple Peter comes and asks a question. 
And the way that he asked this question gives me the understanding that this was a real-life account, that he was asking not just some hypothetical story. I think that he really had an individual and a circumstance in his mind, and he was asking Jesus to basically give him permission to finally get mad. And if you look at Matthew 18, verse number 21, it says, Then Peter came up and said to him, that is to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, in the Jewish culture, you had the rabbis, and the rabbis were the teachers. They would teach the word of God. They would teach the law of God. And the rabbis, historically, they taught that you would forgive somebody three times. So literally, they will give you three strikes and you're out. Could you imagine how many of you men would be married today if the street three strikes you're out rule was in effect? I use men because it's, I'm trying to be safe here because I'm afraid of the ladies. Forgive. And, he, and Peter comes along and says, as many as seven times. The rabbis, they taught three times. If you forgive three times, you're doing really well. That person hurt you, they wounded you, and you forgave them, forgave them, forgave them. But the fourth time, you're kind of justified to kick them back. Jesus addresses Peter's response. Peter says seven times, over twice what the rabbis. And I have no doubt that Peter, because we know from other accounts that he was fairly prideful, was waiting for Jesus to say, Peter, you are amazing. That is so good. Well done, Peter. And except he goes on and Jesus talks in some extreme language here and says in verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. That's 70 times seven. In other words, if you can do math, it is 490 times. Now, granted, some of you probably are keeping count. Well, one more time, you're out. But Jesus is talking in extremes here. And he's saying, just keep on forgiving. Keep on forgiving. Now, if Jesus would have just said that, you and I would have been, in a sense, justified to going, this is too much work. Let's just put it into the closet and leave it there and ignore it. And that's just what it is. Just ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. But then he goes on and gives a very extreme parable. The reason why I say extreme, because he uses figures and, and emotions that are incredibly inflated. And it helps us understand and put into our box. And in this parable, he tells, which we'll read in a few moments time, we have a king. And this king is owed a great and a huge amount of money. There's a man who owes the king a great amount of money, but he's also owed by somebody else a, a comparatively small amount of money. Then there's a man who is owes a, a comparatively small amount of money to the man who owes a great amount of money. Does that confuse you? That's why I try to move around on the stage. At least you can visualize different people. King, big debtor, little debtor. And here we see the fact that Jesus takes our normal way of thinking and totally turns it around and he changes our perspective of why we forgive others. Because when we live a lifestyle of unforgiveness, it not only hurts us, it hurts others around us. So let's begin looking in the grace heals wounds. And this is the first point this morning. Grace heals wounds when I accept my forgiveness. 
See, oftentimes we think about the people that have hurt us. We forget the debt that we owe. See, in this story, we're not the king. We're not the person that owes a small amount. You and I are the person that owes a huge amount to the king. The debt of sin that you and I owe is insurmountable. Now, don't try to look around and think, well, good thing I'm not as bad as that person, because it's not a matter of comparing yourself with others. Compared to the perfection of Jesus Christ, all of us, the Bible says, our righteousness are as filthy rags, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, that is God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God sees and knows everything about you. He knows the good things, but he also knows the deepest, darkest secrets of your heart. Those thoughts that you have had that you would hope that no one ever, never ever realizes the disgusting things that go through your mind. The things that you'd be totally embarrassed about. He knows every single one of them. But isn't it amazing that God still loves you? See, not only do we have a debt of sin, a, there's been a price has been paid for your sin. Not only do we have bad news, we also have good news. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it was a prophecy about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, given hundreds of years before Jesus' crucifixion. And as we read this, it will be on the screen for you to follow. When it uses the personal pronouns, I want you to put your name in there, and I will put the word me in there as we go along. Because this verse goes from just being head knowledge to being really personable when you put your name in here. It says there, but he, that is Jesus. So, But Jesus was pierced for my transgressions. Jesus was crushed for my iniquities. Upon Jesus was the chastisement that brought me peace. And with Jesus' wounds, I am healed. Thank God that he knows who I am and he knows who you are. He knows your deepest, darkest sin and the wounds that you have hurt others with. And he still says, I love you you. Let's just sit in awkward silence for a few moments, and I want you to contemplate that. It's so easy to say that Jesus loves you, but when you start thinking about the sacrifice that he willingly made with you in mind, not just mankind as a whole. In the capacity, in the brain capacity of us, we think of just in big concepts. I believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins as an individual. He knew who you were. He knew the sins that you were to commit. And he still says, I love you. I care for you. I have a plan and purpose for your life. And when we understand the value of the gift, it makes the gift even greater. Because if we continue on, we see the grace that is received. In verse number 23, it, go, it says this. this. This is the parable that Jesus told. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle his accounts with his servants. So we have the king here, and he's owed a great debt, and he's going to settle his accounts. He goes on and says, When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Uh, he, since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had and payment to be made. This man held 10,000 talents. Now, that doesn't sound all that impressive because we have no idea what 10,000 talents are. So let's break it down a little bit. 10,000 talents, let's break it down to a daily laborer. A daily laborer in Jewish times, they would work for one day for one denarii. One denarii was an average laborer's wage for a day. If you work out, they work six days a week. They work Sunday all the way through Friday. Then with Jewish holidays, let's just round it around. They, they worked about 300 days a year. So if you work it out, they worked 300 days a year, earning one denarii a day. It would take them 20 years of work with no expenses. So obviously they had no kids, no expenses. And then they would earn enough to make one talent. So one talent is 6,000 denarii. And this man who owed this king a great debt owed 10,000 talents. So if you work it out and begin doing the math, it roughly works out to be about 200,000 years worth of work. So Jesus comes along here and says, I'm going to use something absolutely extreme. And I have no doubt the people that are listening here, if you, you, you say, I'm owed, I'm making this number up, you know, $10 billion. Well, obviously, I can't pay that. He owed that, so the king says, I'm going to sell you, I'm going to sell your wife, I'm going to sell your children, all that you have to cover the debt. I'm totally foreclosing on you, first century style. And he goes on in verse number 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. This man is begging for his life and he's making a claim that he cannot keep. I will pay you everything I owe you. There's no way he could ever in a you know, 200,000 lifetimes pay this debt. So therefore, when you put this into perspective, this king is God looking at you and I and saying there's a debt that you and I owe that we could never pay ourselves in a thousand lifetimes. So we're on our knees begging. And the begging and the claim is, I'll pay it back. That's where we kind of get the mindset of my good has to outweigh my bad, but we don't find that anywhere in the Bible. The good outweighs our bad because it never, ever will. There's no way we can earn our salvation. So verse number 27 is one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. We have a man desperate, desperately pleading for his life and says, out of pity for him, it says in verse 27, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. He goes from having a debt that he could never pay to being totally forgiven. Now, when you're being forgiven, there's a response to that. That's our second point this morning is the response. When you think about the fact that you've been forgiven an incredible debt, the natural response is to say, thank you. And the natural response is when we are forgiven by God is to love God 
and it goes on and it says to love others. In 1 John chapter number 4, verse 19, it says, We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, notice my sister is here, that's why I'm talking about loving your brother today. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That is, love God, love others. The response of when we've been forgiven a great debt is we say, God, I love you. I want to know you. I want to do the things that you want me to do. And God clearly says throughout the Bible, love me, but also love others also. Going back to the illustration, we have a closet filled with hurts that become a barrier between us and other people and becomes a, a scars in our, and wounds in our life that stop us from loving people because I don't want to be hurt one more time. If I, if I love you, if I care for you, if I'm vulnerable with you, maybe you'll hurt me because other people have hurt me in the past. So therefore, we stop moving forward. According to the Bible, we're to love God and love others. This man who had been forgiven a great debt, it goes on in verse number 28 about his selfishness that he they exhibited. And in verse number 28, it says, But when that same servant went out, so imagine, he's wiping the tears off of his eyes, he's just been forgiven a debt, he pleaded for his life, he's been forgiven, and he's leaving and walking out, and he says, he found one of his fellow servants. I find that very interesting that it says there, he found one. It doesn't say he stumbled across or just came across. He actually, it says there, he went out and said, mm, I'm owed money. I'm going to go find that person that owes me money. And he goes on and it says, he found one of his servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That is 100 days work worth of money. So it's not a, a, a tiny amount, but compared to 10,000 talents was absolutely nothing. And seized him. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me. That's exactly what he just said to the king. Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. This man in the middle had the legal right, but did he have the moral right? I think that's where we find ourselves often. I have no problem loving God. I have a real hard time loving people that might hurt me because somebody else has hurt me in the past. I believe we need to go back and work on our forgiveness of people. And it's an active choice to say, I'm going to actively choose to forgive you. I'm going to actively choose to love you even when you are unlovable because that's exactly what has been done for me. We have a responsibility. That's our third point this morning is our responsibility. Grace heals wounds when we accept our responsibility. And in verse number, 20, uh, sorry, verse number 32, it says, Then his master, the, that's the king, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? I want to ask you a question. How do you see yourself in this parable? Do you see yourself as a person that's perfect? 
God and the king and everybody owes you? Or do you see yourself as a person that owes God a debt you can never pay and thank God he forgave you of your sin and he's given you life not just for now but for eternity in heaven? And you look at others around you that compared to your sin debt have hurt you in a small way. And it becomes a barrier between your love and your ability to serve God correctly. So my challenge to you is to live out Jesus' words in Luke chapter number 6. This is Jesus teaching his disciples very early on in the ministry. And he's setting a foundation for them in their lives. But this is a foundation that you and I can go out and to love people the way they deserve to be loved. To give them the grace that we want for ourselves. Jesus says this. In Luke 6, verse 27 through 35. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. That right there is totally transformational. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is it to you? For even sinners love those who love them. But if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is it to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And finally, be merciful even as your father is merciful. As you go out this week, you have this card. This is nothing special about the card. It's just a visual reminder to you. On the back of the card, there's an area that says grace with the greater than sign than a blank line. We've left that blank on purpose because every week through this series, we're giving you one of these cards. And there's probably somebody that comes to your mind or maybe you need a couple of cards to fill out several. People that come to your mind that have wounded you in the past, that have hurt you in the past, that are seemingly unlovable, not deserving of your grace. And they're becoming a barrier for you to move forward in your relationship with God. They become a barrier between you and the the grace that God wants you to experience in your life. So my challenge to you now, I'm going to do something a little bit different as a conclusion this morning. Rather than me closing in prayer, what we're going to do is I want you to stand and pray with me silently. And as things go through in your mind, I want you to think through those people that have wounded you and ask God to give you the ability to love them. Even actively in your mind, forgive them even now. And as you go out, maybe you need to write that person's name down and throw this away, rip it up and say, I've forgiven them is an active way of showing that you've forgiven them. Maybe you need to you know, burn it in the fire and say, it's gone. I'm not going to bring that up any longer. 
Because the Bible says in regards to our sin that we've been washed white as snow. He's taking our sin and buried them in the deepest part of the ocean. In a similar way, we can do that actively with others that hurt us so that we can experience that grace is greater than our deepest hurts.